this is the future of packaging. There's this benefit. You want to do this. Trust me, it's not a waste of time. It's not going anywhere. On today's episode of Testing Code, we talk about packaging with Brett Cannon. I always learn a lot when I talk to Brett, and this episode is no exception. We talk about packaging workflows, tools, changes, PyProject.toml, Flit, setup tools, and so much more. I hope you learn as much as I did in this great discussion. Welcome to Testing Code. Welcome to Testing Code. I am pleased to have Brett Cannon on again. Um, Brett is my uh, go-to resource for all things, actually everything. <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, mostly like, um, you know, stuff that's going on within the Python world, but also uh, packaging, because uh, I... I think you care about packaging. Why do you care about packaging? A uh, good question because it does take up a lot of my time. Um, basically, I think once the whole Python two three situation was taken care of to the best of my abilities, um, I was kind of done with ma- major projects at that point, and I was kind of just looking around and like, okay, what's the next big thing that the community kind of seems to want or need help with, and Packaging was moving, but I felt there was something there that I could contribute, um, partially just because I am very familiar with writing PEPs, for instance, and dealing with all of that, and both just personalities that inevitably come in these kinds of discussions that can be somewhat difficult to deal with, to just helping drive consensus, to just being willing to write the words and all that and kind of just drive discussions to closure. Okay. And so I just started to get involved with it and I've perpetually been involved with it since because obviously it's not done. Um, and that's basically it. It was just, I, I saw an opportunity to help out. And so I just stepped in and I've been trying to help out ever since. Okay. But you said it's not done. So is there, I, I mean, there's rough edges still, but is there like an obvious next thing that needs fixed? Uh, well, if you want to get into, if you want to start off with, uh, long-term, uh, plans, we can start with that. Um, yeah. So kind of, so when I started to get involved with this, the, one of the things that really kind of kicked it off for me was I looked around and I went, okay, if I were to write an installer that only used standards specified either at packaging.python.org, uh, which is actually the official place for packaging specs, um, I was going to say or PEPs, but honestly, even those PEPs get linked from packaging.python.org as recognized as the official standard. I looked at it and I went, could I actually re-implement a fully standards-only installer, somewhat like PIP, from from the bottom up? And I realized you couldn't. Okay. There were certain holes. And by the way, I should also say, not only just from a standard perspective, but also from a library perspective. Because one of the things I've, uh, really always appreciate with the Python community is we've seemed to, as a as a group, come together around projects and libraries and kind of put our effort behind singular projects and libraries that do a really good core job at something really well without having 50,000 options. We'd prefer to have more like three, Yeah, which I like because it it's the NPM approach versus our approach as a community, right? Yeah. And I guess. For, I don't know anything about NPM, but 
it, it, that that's fine. I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. Uh, I deal with that for a living. Uh, anyway, um, so for me, what that does is it makes me want to have libraries that back up every single spec in the packaging ecosystem. And there just wasn't for various reasons. Um, but what happens is it leads to this situation where every single tool in the packaging tool chain implements the same PEP differently. Uh, for instance, the, the best example I have and from personal experience was uh, t wheel tags, right? I noticed that they were every single project that had to deal with wheel tags had their own vendored cargo culted copy of a module that I think originally came from either PIP or Buildout. PEP425 tags was literally the name of the file. Everyone had their own copy. Everyone had hacked it to their own needs over time. And they'd all diverged. And so what happened was is I came in and I went, no, you know what? This this should all be one module, right? And what happened was there's the packaging project, um, which is a little confusing to discuss with people when you're talking about packaging. So the packaging project for packaging exists. <laughs> um, you can go to github.com slash pypa slash packaging, and that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I decided to put in the effort to create a uh, tags module for that project and was able to work with uh, pip, wheel, uh, I set up tools, and and I, I don't know if Buildout would directly participate, but I did at least look at their source code. Okay. And we all worked together. I worked with all these projects in the PEP to try to uh, create a singular implementation of wheel tags. And I did. And actually, it turned out to be a really good uh, thing to do because I've discovered, for instance, PyPy was getting screwed. Like, there were a massive amount of tags that under PyPy were not being listed as compatible, even though they were. And there were a couple other places where there were actually wheel tags that existed and combinations that were possible that were not being listed as a potential for other um, implementations of Python other than CPython. This episode of Testing Code is brought to you by Datadog. Do you have an application that is performing slower than you like? Do you know why requests have high latency? With Datadog, you can find the root cause fast. Troubleshoot your app's performance with Datadog's end-to-end -end distributed tracing and continuous code profiling to quickly detect what happened and why down to the line of code. And in one click, you can correlate individual requests with related logs and infrastructure metrics to get full-stack observability with zero context switching. Start tracking the performance of your apps with a free trial at testandcode.com slash datadog, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. And to be honest, my Datadog t-shirt is one of my favorites. I wear it all the time. Just wheel tag. What, what is a wheel like? An example of a wheel tag is that like uh, the description or something, or is that something so? A so if you ever look at a file name for a wheel, and I'm going to, uh, if you don't know what a wheel is for the audience, it's basically the binary artifact that you install, typically. So basically, in packaging, there's sdis or source distributions. So those are the .tar.gz files, or on a rare occasion, the .zip files you find on PyPI. Yeah. Right, that's what you build and you create a wheel for. And then the wheel is going to contain all the code. And by the way, uh, even for people who maintain Python-only uh, projects, please build wheels. 
Uh, they're literally just zip files. And for pip and uh, any other installer tool to install them, it's literally an unzip and copy the files to the right place. Everything else requires that compilation step and slows down installs. And you also can't rely on the metadata in those files. So they still have to build the wheel anyway to find out your dependencies. So a quick PSA, if you maintain a project on PyPI, please make sure there are wheels. Yes. Uh, tangent done. Uh, <laughs> if you ever look at a wheel file, you'll notice that it's got a very specific structure. Uh, it starts with the project name, normalized, dash, version number, uh, dash, and then potentially an optional um, build number. And then after that, it has uh, what are called the wheel tags, and it breaks down to three parts. So one is the interpreter version that you're using, right? So that can be as specific as like CP39 means C Python 3.9, or as generic as Py3 to mean any Python 3 compatible interpreter. Uh, the next part is what's called the ABI tag. So for Python, that's typically uh, for C Python, that's usually like CP39 to specify that is the C Python 3.9 C ABI. And that's um, if you don't know ABI versus API, ABI is the uh, application binary interface. So when you link things at the C level, things have to be uh, um, compatible at a binary perspective, not from an API perspective, right? So if you know C, a good example is macros. Macros are API compatible, but not ABI compatible. Because okay. I have to be able to link against it, knowing the function call, the way you call, is completely the same, but I don't need to worry about the name so much. While at the API level, you can completely change how stuff works and hide things behind macros and do funky stuff. But as long as the way you call the thing still is compatible, that's API compatible. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it's funky, complicated. Um, but there's a very clear distinction and key thing that basically, if you compile anything, you want ABI compatibility, not API compatibility. Okay. Um, and in that wheel, that um, that CP39, you can also specify ABI3, which means you're compatible with Python's stable ABI, which okay. we have. Or you can actually end up saying uh, none, which means there is no ABI needs. And that's what like pure Python code specifies. And then the last part is your platform. And then that one is where you specify both your OS and your CPU uh, level. So, for instance, if you're on Linux, that'll be the Mini Linux x64 one to say, or actually, it's Mini Linux glibc version uh, x86 or um, x64 for the CPU architecture. Uh, if you're on Mac, you'll look and you'll know some wheels, for instance, have huge lists of tags on the platform section because it comes all the way from Mac 10.9 up to modern Mac versions. And then it specifies whether uh, it's a universal binary, uh, universal two binary, which is brand new thanks to Apple Silicon, or whether it's x86, x64, or uh, ARM. Uh, PowerPC is not really a problem anymore. And then .whl, which actually is a zip file. So that's what a wheel tag is. And standardizing the code for all projects to use in one place was one of the first things I did in the packaging world. And okay. it's been really helpful because that's actually how we were able to get Apple Silicon support out for the entire ecosystem in one go. Because Apple came to us in July on the packaging project and submitted a PR uh, to actually add Apple Silicon support. Uh, hmm. There were some discussions higher up about ABIs and how to handle that part of the tag. Like, should it be universal two or should we list, oh, hey, if it's a fat binary, should we break out X64 and ARM? Uh, in the end, we went with universal two. 
Uh, we got that in in November. There were some bugs that came up. We got those fixed. Uh, that got pushed out in the pip one of the pip twenty point nine, I believe. I uh, got the last of the Apple Silicon bugs fixed and pushed out, which is also the very last. The reason that's the last version with Python two point seven compatibility. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, the last version of pip that had two seven also worked on Apple Silicon. Okay. Um, but it because we centralized all this and now have a single library, we were able to do this once, and all libraries get the fixes, and all libraries now are compatible with Apple Silicon. So it worked out really nicely. It's a lot. It took me months to write this module, like of just research alone. Like I had spreadsheets. It was crazy. So let's say, let's say, okay. So I've got like I want to walk through a couple examples. Um, yep. One example is let's say I just have a Python only thing that mm-hmm. I. A, a new uh, project that I want to share with the world. I want to push it to PyPI. And I just did this the last week. So, um, or recently for Python only stuff, at least I'm us- leaning towards flit usually for my packaging. Same here. And, and so I don't even, all these tags that you mentioned, I didn't have to care about them. Um, you still don't. Okay. So I just built and I did the deploy thing. Although, I was. Mm-hmm. I really should have done the the deploy to the test server first, but I forgot to do that. Um, we won't tell anyone you took a testing shortcut, Brian. Don't worry. <laughs> well, actually, so I think it should be it should be more obvious. I think maybe Flit should just warn you and go, dude, you haven't done the test first or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, but when I look at so I went um, I look at uh, pipei.org and look up pytest dash source paths src paths the thing mm-hmm. I pushed up. Um, and then I, there's a files button and I can, or download files. I can look at that. And I see the PyTest underscore source paths, SRC paths, and then my ver- dash version number, 102, mm-hmm. and then dash Py2.py3. So apparently it's Py2 and Py3 compatible. Mm-hmm. But I didn't decide that. Did I decide that somehow? Did you specify your requires Python in your metadata? Let me go look. Because uh, so. if you didn't specify that, I could see Flit inferring that you're 2 and 3 compatible. Uh, so that'd be in my pri project TOML file, right? Correct. In your Flit.metadata section. Oh. Flit metadata. No, I, I've got disk name, module author, author email, homepage, requires, oh, I just my, what modules, what it requires, PyTest, of course, classifiers, and a description file. That's it. Right. So that'll be why. So what, what you should do, and another PSA everyone should do, is in your metadata, you, there's a requires Python field. And the naming might be slightly tweaked on every project, depending on, or for every build tool. But they all support it because this is metadata PyPI supports. And it's actually really important to pip because what happens is, is when you specify your requires Python, you're specifying the uh, version requirements for what version of Python you support. So, for instance, Brian, if you only test against 3.6 and newer, you probably just list 3.6 and newer as the requires Python, right? So greater than 3.6. Um, okay. If you don't specify that, Flit is basically taking a guess and like, well, if you didn't say it, you can be compatible with anything. So I'm going to say you're compatible with anything. But what will happen is, is that also means someone on PIP, for instance, tries to install something. It'll just 
can be considered successful and install it regardless of whether it actually could be used or not. Right. So someone on 2.7 would import your code, and if you happen to have anything that's Python 3, they'll magically get a syntax error when they first try to import your code. But if you said it's only compatible with 3.6 and newer, Pip will just say, sorry, you can't install this. It's not compatible with your version of Python that you're trying to install for. Which that's probably what I want. Exactly. And then when you do the build, Flit's going to be smart enough to say, oh, this is not Python 2 compatible, so it'll just use a Py3 uh, interpreter tag to say, this is Python 3 compatible. And then for very specific what versions of Python 3, that's what that metadata that requires Python specifies will be used for. Okay. So so the, the thing to think of wheel tags is basically they're used by pip and other install tools to quickly figure out what wheel should I try to install for? And then it does a slightly deeper dive when it downloads it, because then it looks at the metadata and goes, okay, does this exact version work? Because you're not going to typically have, if you're going to have multiple versions on wheels, like if you look at NumPy, for instance, yeah. they have 23 wheels because they cover all the major versions of Python on all the major OSs. So okay. it'll only grab the three, if you're on 3.9, it'll only grab the 3.9 wheel because there will be a CP 3.9. But when you're generic like this, people go like, chances are it's going to work. I'm going to grab it. And then when I open it, I'll double check. And then it, that's when it's going to double check. Okay. So I probably should add that requires. Python. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Because uh, that will also surface on PyPI's web UI. If you look in the right, if you look in the left-hand column, it'll be shown there, seeing it's compa- what what the version specification is. So people will also be able to look and go, "I'm still stuck on three five. Can I use Brian's cool source path project? Darn it, I need to, I need to go talk to management and upgrade because I really need to use this project or something." I mean, my rule of thumb is whatever you run in CI for your testing is basically what you're guaranteed compatibility with. And so that's what I always try to match against. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay, if you're so running 3.5 CI, then I claim 3.5. If so you're 3.6, I'd say 3.6. So let, let's say, so that's a good good rule of thumb. Um, and I'm going to try to find, I don't really want to push somebody just to the metadata section of the FLIT project. Is there some place that talks about this requires Python that you know of? Uh and uh, I'll find. I'll I mean, try to find a link later. But every build tool will have the link to their spec- what metadata they support, and then Flit will say in their docs that hey, this is a field you can specify. As to the meaning of that field, you could link to the spec yeah. that specifically outlines where this gets written out. As to just general guidance like this, there's hopefully something on packaging.python.org, but I will fully admit that outside of the specs, that website is woefully understaffed by volunteers. The volunteers are just really swamped because there are okay. other, they're PyPI folk who also help manage PIP and PyPI itself and all this other stuff. So keeping that website up to date uh, is a struggle. Okay. So let's say, so this is going to be, um, okay, though going back to my, so I probably should fix that. So it's not Py2, Py3. It'll be Py3 only then after yep. I fix that. Yep. And then the, and then it says dash none. Yep. And the none is what? The none is... Um... The ABI. So yeah. because you're not linking against any C code or anything like that, there's no ABI to care about. So you're just saying, I, I, I don't care. Okay. There is no ABI restriction for me. So okay. Not... And then it says dash any, and that's the... What's the any again? Uh, that's platform. So any OS, any CPU architecture. Once again, because there's no C code and you're running Python, Python's cross-compatible okay. on any OS and any CPU. You don't have to care. Okay. So it's NEOS. And it's smaller. So this is for this is 2.7K. 
Mm-hmm. And then then also there's a there's a the tarball, a uh the That's the sort that's the SDS, the source. SDS. So that's three point seven K. Why is that bigger? So you're so for Flit specifically, what Flit does is to build your SDS, what it does is it sticks into that tarball everything you have committed into get. The wheel only has things that you need to install for pip or any other install tool. So if you open up that tarball, it's going to have your readme and your docs and your tests and your source code and everything else that's in your repo. Basically, it's a tarball of your repo without the Git history. If you look at the wheel, the wheel will only have your source code, your license file, and maybe if you have any entry points specified, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, that's going to be it. So there's just literally less files because... Okay. One is very much just kind of like a freeze of the code used to build the wheel. And the wheel is literally just what you have to have to install and make the thing work. Yeah. I'm recommending for people like within, even within a company or something, if mm-hmm. they're not pushing it to pipe PI, but they just want to share between teams or something. Mm-hmm. Flit's a great way to just share code, share Python code. Flit's great. I mean, if you have pure Python code yeah. and you're not like on the poetry or pipenv um, camp, in terms of how that's how you manage stuff, I totally recommend Flit for any pure Python project. It's fast, it's simple, it totally just does what you need. You never have to worry about a manifest.in file ever again, which is usually how I sell people on this. There's no setup.cfg or setup.py file. Well, what I like about it is the the workflow. So I'm thinking yeah. about a workflow of somebody saying, I got some code and I want to share it. Oh, I should add some tests. And then I stick a test directory in and start testing against it and then and then like i want to share this with people what do i do do i just stick it stick the whole thing on a share drive or something and even um and at that point if you want to go the packaging route like with setup tools it's kind of a big hurdle to go like how do i do this whereas with flit you can just say flit in it and it like looks at your code and just says okay i'm i'm done check your stuff in i mean um, usually it works okay. So, yeah. I mean, Thomas Clover's done, I think, a great job with Flip because he very purposely made it just for Python source projects. Yeah. And Setup Tools complexity is a combination of both just being the first tool that tried to do packaging in Python, and it's and because of that, it's aged, but also because it handles extension modules, right? It it does compilation of C code for Python stuff. Yeah. Flit doesn't have to care about any of that. So because of that, Thomas has been able to do a great job of keeping the whole workflow and the project itself very small and contained such that he's he's been very quick on implementing new standards when they come out and all that kind of stuff. And he's um, been able to keep it nice and simple and fast. And it, as you said, the workflow is nice and simple. Yeah. And it's gotten rid of, I think, a lot of the nasty sharp edges that setup tools just has once again, due to how it was initially designed that they had to keep going forward right. for compatibility, but also just does not apply. If you don't have, if you don't have C code, like right. you keep your life simple. And it's, it does have a few guardrails on it though, which I actually appreciate mm-hmm. it. Like it, it assumes you're using a Git repo. I mm-hmm. don't know if it works on other source control or not, um, well. but but I'm always using Git, and I think that's a safe yeah. assumption now. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, so just I just wanted to mention that because if people are using like 
I don't know, clear case or something, or RTC. Mercurial or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that'd probably be a more obvious one. Um, the, uh, the, it may, your mileage may vary. But the, the other part of it is, um, and it, and it like checks you. If you try to build something and you haven't stuff got stuff checked in, it says, yeah, you probably want to commit this stuff first or something. I can't uh-huh. remember. It gives you some messages, but it also allows you to run talks. So if I do talks on this, I can run run my talks on checked out stuff. I don't have to commit it first because so that's cool. The um, getting away from that. Okay, so that's like a source only. Mm-hmm. You were talking about like NumPy or something that's compiled with some C code. Mm-hmm. What's the workflow like there? Do they have to build the C code stuff on like different machines first to build a wheel? Build all the wheels or? Yeah. So the way this workflow typically works for extension modules is you get it all set up with setup tools. So you install setup tools and you install the wheel project. Uh, this is actually why the default, if you use PEP 5.1. So uh, I think the last time I was on, we talked about PEP 5.17 and PEP yeah. 5.18. Right. Uh, so the reason PEP 5.18 defaults to if you don't have the uh, build system dependencies specified as laid out in PEP 5.18, your pyproject.toml, the default is set of tools and wheel because that's what's required to build the vast majority of the world into a wheel file. Okay. And hence why that's done for PEP 5.17's benefit. Uh, so basically you set up set of tools and you have wheel. And then this is where you typically end up uh, getting a machine for the platform you want. Uh, and then you run on Python setup.py bdist, and then that's how you build your wheel. You can do sdist pretty much anywhere, unless you have like custom code, crazy custom code somewhere that has to run on a certain OS in order to package everything up appropriately. Um, and this is why source distributions are so nasty to deal with as an installer for PIP, because it can't trust anything. Who knows what was specified and how it was run and everything. And this is why static metadata is such a big push and important thing going on yeah. in the packaging ecosystem and trying to get everyone to move to. Like if you're on setup tools, please use setup.cfg. Uh, I will tell you even I I can't officially speak for the setup tools developers, but I bet they will say please use setup uh, use setup.cfg over setup.py. Static metadata is really useful and important and allows uh, automation and other things and just makes everyone's lives easier. So please please use that. Oh, I did. Um, I thought it was in addition. You can use you you don't need a setup.py if you have a setup.cfg. Yes, if you okay. use PEP 5.17, you can skip the setup.py and use .setup.cfg. I don't, I don't know how editable installs will work, if that's a thing for you, but you okay. can actually, with PEP 5.17, with the pyproject.toml, you can just have a setup.cfg, and you can ditch the setup.py. Okay. But the key thing is specify as much as you can in your setup.cfg. Uh, but yeah, so basically the way this works is like, let's say you set up GitHub Actions for your project on GitHub. Okay. You, you would then have uh, one of your one of your workflows be, or one of the actions, build your wheel on Mac, build your wheel on Windows, and build your wheel on Linux. And then you'd end up with three separate wheels. Assuming they're all the same version of Python, if you have to build for other versions of Python, you'd repeat the, ma- test, the build matrix for the versions of Python you need to support. Okay. And then you'd end up with... The, individual wheels. This is basically because um, to the best of my knowledge, uh, setup tools isn't really structured for cross uh, cross compiling. So right. there's no way to like have like your 
Docker container or something that's all set up appropriately and say, hey, go build me a Mac wheel, build me a Windows wheel, and build me all of these other wheels for all these other versions of Python. There's, it's just the project, I don't think, is structured that way. And it's it's unfortunate. It'd be cool if we could get there. I don't know how much work it would be to add this set of tools. It might honestly require a new build project to come about that supports this kind of workflow. But as of right now, there isn't a good story for that in Python. Well, I mean, conceptually, you could do it yourself, right? Uh, have a instead of a CI system, you could have like a Docker images on your machine or something to do that. Yeah. yeah. And then do you have to get all these pieces together first before you push it to PyPI? Do you have to push it all at once? Or do you, can you put them like one one version, like macOS first and then work on Linux? Or um, I don't remember. I believe the API, I believe the API will let you push up. It, it, as long as you've already done it and it's not overwriting a pre-existing file, you can push up more files if you add more wheels. Okay. But I mean, typically I just do it all at once. Yeah. Okay. That's probably what everybody does. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things, <laughs> uh, it's funny. So my little, uh, little source paths package that yeah. I put up, it's at 102. I haven't made any changes to it. It's it. It's original thing. The reason why it's not 100 is because I had changes to the readme or something. And you can't even push a new readme to PyPI without changing the version. So actually, uh, a trick to know is there's actually uh, a way to do that without bumping the version number, bumping the bug fix version, is um, their support for post versions oh. specifically for this. So instead of pushing 1.0.1 and 1.0.2, you could have pushed 1.0.0 dash. I think it's dash. It could. I, I can't remember if it normalizes. I think it might normalize to a point post one and 1.0.0.post2. And then what would Pip would do is go, oh, this is probably you fixed a readme or something. I don't need to download a new version because post versions are just basically bookkeeping of there's something that changed, but the actual source code didn't. And so it won't bother to read, download, and install it. Okay. And does, I mean, I'm sure Flit supports post versions then. Yeah, because it's just part of the uh, packaging spec on uh, version specification. Uh, that's 440, I think, maybe. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like you know how you can specify alpha, beta, A, B, and C, as C stands for release candidate, uh, but you can also do post. Okay. And that's the easiest way to do it. If you literally have zero code change, yeah. you can use the post, and then PIP will still install the newest version with the newest, the highest version of the post number. But if it has a version installed already that only differs by a post, it just won't bother because the assumption is the code didn't change. It was just like readme or some metadata that's not important. <laughs> and yeah. we can just totally skip it. Yeah, like the, the the one thing, so I guess we t talked about Python requires, but the one thing I also wanted to change that wasn't the default with uh, uh, Flit was mm -hmm. the dist name um, mm -hmm. because um, there, Python has this weird thing I don't know if it's convention or required or something that uh, if your uh, if your package has a uh, you can if you've got dashes or underscores. So yep. I need I need an underscore for the directory name. Like for instance, pytest source paths is pytest underscore source paths. Mm -hmm. But the the package name most people are looking for pytest plugins by searching for pytest dash. That's right. just the convention. So yep. when I pushed it up at first. It, it flit assumed 
the same name. So it assumed my package name, distribution name would be PyTest underscore yep. source paths. Uh, yep. And so I had to add that metadata. I had to look that up. Um, which, so there's just a couple new metadata things that aren't by default. So, so I probably do a blog post on this or something. Yeah. But uh, so the reason that happened is actually, remember how we were talking about how wheel file names are structured yeah. and they're dashed to separate and everything? you totally break all the algorithms in the world if we let you have a package name with a dash in it. But the distribution name can have a dash in it. Yeah, because that's a, cause source distributions literally just... So for now, source distributions just got standardized uh, kind of implicitly in 5.17, and we've kind of hardened that up a bit to now normalize that name as well. Okay. So your metadata can specify that the project name and on PyPI has the dash, but the normalization is to do an underscore... Because we use dashes to separate version num version numbers and source distributions, or dashes to separate the parts, all the parts of the wheel tag and everything. I'm like so confused. that's why you see that happen. Well, that well, the disk name also shows up. That's that it just shows up as the the name I search for in PyPI or the and what I pip install. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to worry about this. Pip will handle the normalization and the lookup with PyPI. So if you want it to be searchable and show up with the dash, that's totally fine. As you said, PyTest plugins, for instance, are almost always PyTest dash something. Yeah. The file normalization is a technical thing you should never have to worry about. This is all what your build tool should be doing for you and taking care of it. And it, you sh it should not be your concern, basically. But, it's okay. the file. And it's not how PyPI does its searching. It does the searching based on the metadata. And the reason you do that for Flit is because Flit automatically assumes the directory name you specify is going to be the name of the project. So you had to overwrite it because you wanted that dash specifically, even though you put it in the underscore because I mean, okay, that's where, you just that, don't do dashes. That's where I was names. confused because it uses, I guess there should be a project name that's di that's different maybe mm -hmm. because Flit is using disk name for project name. Yeah, di for distribution. That's what they're considering the project name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you have to specify the directory of where the source is. So you're just telling it, don't use the name of the directory <laughs> as the project name. Use the one I'm telling you to use. Yeah. And, and it's the one with the dash. So clear as mud. I think uh, well, if, if I'm doing a Python only, I don't have to care about Apple Silicon or anything like that. Or, no. So, um, but if I, like you said, if I have, if I have some C code that needs built, um, what did you call it? Uh, universal two universe. What's universal. Why is why is it Universal Two? Because there was a Universal One when uh, they moved from PowerPC to Intel. Okay, Universal Two is an Apple thing. Yes. Okay, it's their version of fat binaries. So when Apple moved off of PowerPC and over to Intel architecture, uh, specifically to x86 and then to x64 eventually, uh, they developed this fat binary format where you can basically ship versions of files that contain both a PowerPC version and an Intel version. Okay. And basically they've just continued on with that format because after the PowerPC, they still had x86 and x64, right? Yeah. For uh, 64 and 32 bit. And then now that they got into this point with arm, they've just said, all right, well now you can ship and they dropped 32 bit. So now it's just x64. Well, we'll just now just bring in arm. And so they did. And the decision was made instead of having a really ridiculously long wheel file name of saying like, well, this is X64 compatible and ARM compatible for all versions between OS 10 version 10.9 to Mac OS 15. 
the decision was just, just call it universal two. It's going to be a fat binary with all the stuff. Just say it's compatible with these versions of Python, and we just introduce that name. And as long as you update to the newest version of all your tools, everything's taken care of. Anything will just work. You might have to you'll have to do a rebuild uh, for your wheels to get the new stuff, but that's basically it. Just new update to the latest versions. Okay. Do your Mac builds again, and you're covered. Now, as long as you can do it, by the way, on ARM hardware. Once again, because set of tools doesn't do cross compilation. You had to have an ARM machine to do those builds. Okay, but my or I have to have a CI system that has ARM yep. stuff. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, on the Python side or whatever, my source code side, you mm-hmm. called that extension modules. Um, is extension modules that just means if I have C- some C code? Okay. Now, when I, I look up extending on Python.org, docs.python.org, mm-hmm. it has a page called extending and embedding the python interpreter that's something different right or is that uh yeah so so yeah so that's actually when you want to embed the python interpreter into an app kind of like how blender and maya and arcgis all embed the python interpreter for scripting purposes that section of the docs is all about how do you okay that's something completely different yeah cool (laughs) so I think that I've got myself into a place where I think I just really like wheels. I like flit and I really don't want to write extension modules. Yes. Um, that's a good place to end up in. With all that. <laughs> and if you want to continue to avoid that, uh, this is when people start to use Cython or C or CFFI or, um, PyBind 11, all of those tools that help you write wrap any of that C C and C plus plus code you have it's definitely worth using these higher level tools that have come along from various places to do it versus doing it by hand. Like I literally got carpal tunnel uh, in my first internship at Google uh, due to writing an extension module by hand. Okay. Right. And also, um, but you, you also don't have to care about it if you're using, so you've using work that other people did like NumPy or something. That's, yeah, because they've done the job of building the wheels for you. Like the whole point of wheels, the reason wheels came into existence was specifically to try to tackle the problem of, well, not everyone's going to have a C compiler, right? Like, especially on Windows. If you don't bother to install the tool chain, you're not going to have yeah. uh, the, the compiler. So how do we get it so that people don't, so the package creators don't have to have their users have the tool chain already set up and ready to go? And that's this is what birthed wheels. And this is also, by the way, why Conda came into being, right? Because they got to it first, and then they took a slightly different tact in terms of, standardizing the build tool chain and all that crazy stuff. And that's why there's this difference between wheels and Conda and kind of how there's been this permanent bifurcation in terms of approach. Okay. Well, you cracked that door open. Um, I did. So one of the things that gets me is, um, the, is it just, I don't use Conda. Um, you don't and need to, if you don't need to, except for I teach people how to do stuff. And so whenever I talk about virtual environments, they say, well, is that the same for Conda environments? And I don't, I have no idea. Um, it's fairly similar, actually. Um, I mean, they're both, both in our, our environments designed to isolate themselves from other environments in your machine. The biggest difference, so the key difference between the PyPA, PyPI world and the Conda world is the way Conda does packaging and approaches and stuff is they standardize the entire build tool chain across all packages, uh, 
for versions of Python, right? So if you build a project for Python 3.9, yeah. every Conda package is going to use the exact same build tools, the exact same version of GCC, the exact same uh, Visual C++ uh, compiler, et cetera, et cetera. Everything is compiled with the exact same stuff around across the board to guarantee this ABI compatibility as much as possible. Because, I mean, it, this is the reason Conda is used by the science world and came out of the science world because they have crazy stuff like Fortran code, right? Like they yeah. got nutty stuff that most people don't have to deal with. So they went all, went out and figured out their own solution to this problem before um, PyPA and PyPI came up with the wheel concept. Okay. So that's the reason they did that. The other key thing is because they do that, they also typically have you install uh, a specific version of Python that once again was built with the exact same tool chain. So one of the interesting things you can do with Conda environments is they use they use environment.yaml as the file name. In your environment.yaml, you can specify the version of Python that you depend on. And so your environment will not only have all the packages you specified and have them all be compatible, but they will also install the version of Python that your environment's dependent on. So there's one little extra bit of metadata they have that will do an install for you. Uh, that we do not have with virtual environments, and that's being able to specify the exact Python version you want. Okay, but the, there's like so there's a there's a Conda has a you have to, if you're using Conda you install through the Conda world. Basically, right? they have some they have pip compatibility now, so you can also install pip if necessary. Okay, but I mean typically if you're in the Conda world, you prefer Conda packages because they're way more guaranteed to be compatible with each other than some random wheel pulled off of pip. Do they have a, a way for people to pack, just package some Python stuff? Or so, that... yeah, so they use Conda. Uh, I can't remember the exact terms they use. I don't think it's, it's a Conda definition, Conda build files. I can't remember the terms that they use. But, yeah, they have a similar, here's the metadata you specify in terms of your requirements okay. of how to build it. And then there are projects like Conda Forge on GitHub whose entire purpose in life is to uh, take projects like NumPy and Pandas and stuff, and auto-run across multiple CI systems to get as many compatible wheels, uh, not wheels, compatible Conda packages as possible. Okay. And they maintain this big piece of infrastructure that auto-updates all the build rules and all this stuff and gets them building across all the CI systems that they need okay. to package all this stuff up so that when you install from Conda Forge, you'll have the packages you want. Okay. Well, um, this is not the talk I thought we were going to have, but I I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. And actually, I think that, you know, one of the things I'd really like to have, and, and I'm, I might have to build it myself if nobody else does, but somebody else could go ahead and do it, and I'd probably feature it, is, A, I want to share some code. How do I do that? Because it changes all the time. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. um, uh, we don't really want setup. Even with setup tools, we don't really want setup.py. We want people to use setup.cfg. I think people are using setup.py just because there's so many examples out there of how to do that. Yeah, um, and honestly, your packaging code is usually the last thing anyone ever changes. Like it becomes habitual. It's like, oh, I made this work in my last project. How did I do it? Oh, I did it with this setup.py. I'll just copy that over, change the names and a couple things here and there, and. People just literally copy and paste so much of their stuff from previous times that it's actually a real problem that we have when we try to like push out new things. And we try to like update like PyProject.toml, for instance. 
there's been resistance to it, not only just because some people just don't like the idea that we went with TOML instead of INI files or something, but also just because why it it works for me. I don't need to switch. So it's a con for me, for instance, it's a constant um, thing of trying to find that carrot to get people to want to switch. Like there's this benefit you want to do this. Trust me. It's not a waste of time. It's not going anywhere. This is the future of packaging. It's the way to do it. Please, please look at it. Yeah, but I'd like I'd like so some something that says okay. I want to just share some code. Here's how to do it in setup tools. Here's how to do it in Flit. Here's how to do it in Poetry, and and then we're just going to keep that updated. So that'd be yeah, cool. it's a little tricky just because it's one of those opinionated things. Like there was massive flack when packaging.python.org recommended pipenv, for instance. Like yeah. people got really upset that a specific tool was listed. Now, it was very clearly labeled a tutorial. It was not saying, this is the tool to use, period. It was, here's the tutorial on how to package up an app. We're going to use pipenv. And so they did. But people did not like that. So <laughs> it's tricky because as soon as you give, an, I mean, if people disagree with your opinion, it, they're not going to be happy. And by the way, this is one of the reasons we don't have a single tool, right? Like, yeah. like if you look at some of the communities like Node or Rust or Dart, pretty much a lot of other ecosystems they started off with a single tool and so they just kind of said we're going to have packaging it's going to be this tool and this is the way we're going to have workflows go and i went okay that was the start right for us because packaging was such an organic thing that came about in the python world right like i remember the vaults of parnassus yeah right back when everyone just downloaded a zip file off of one random website with some animated gifs (laughs) And that was how you install Python projects, right? Yeah. So we kind of organically grew packaging and we've learned lessons and we cleaned things up. And then people now go like, well, why don't we have standardized in one tool? Well, guess what? I can guarantee you if we chose a single tool, there are going to be other people who disagree with that choice of that tool. And they're going, no, that's not the tool I meant. I meant my tool. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right? So we're kind of just basically too far along along to go, hey, Here's the canonical list of commands and things to do because inevitably someone's going to disagree and say, well, why didn't you use this? I like this more. It solved my need better than this one will. Okay. So it's this weird spot where we try to list tools. I believe you go to packaging.python.org. There's a list of tools you can use, but we try not to have opinions on which tool is best per se like we might say this tool is really good if you're only like flit is good if you only have pure python code same with poetry and pipm right like all three of those tools solve it but having that having that website say flit is the one you want over poetry and pipm is gonna not only cause some consternation among some people but also flit doesn't manage your virtual environments like pipm and poetry do so yeah, it's that's not, why I use it. <laughs> exactly. Well, same here. Yeah. But some people do want that as part of it. So yeah. there's even getting an apples to apples comparison is hard. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's one of these things where basically you just have to have people do blog posts that just are somewhat opinionated on this. Like I will fully admit, um, I'm not really ready to share or announce anything, but I'm very slowly trying to build up almost like an example repo to try to figure out where there's some rough edges in the whole getting a project off the ground. Yeah. And that's packaging, that's testing, that's CI, and like minimizing all the metadata. Like right now, for instance, it drives me a little nuts that I have to specify my requires.python in my package metadata. 
but then I have to go tell Tox and Knox what versions of Python I want tested. And then I also have to then go tell my CI system what versions of Python to install to then run. Like I should specify this once and all the other tools should just be able to do the right thing, whether it's auto-gend or reading from your metadata. Yeah. So I think there's work in general in the community to try to smooth out some of these rough edges of how do we kind of just make everything coherent and just kind of easy to set up. And I think part of this is, as you said, figuring out an easy way for all this packaging to work out. And I mean, this is one of the reasons I worked on PEP 621, which tries to standardize specifying the metadata for packages um, in yeah. a way that's standardized across all tools in PyProject.toml, because it means you can write that one tutorial that says, here's how you write out like your dependencies, requires dash Python, yeah. all that stuff. And then for each of the tools, you just have this small, small section that's specific of, all right, here's how you specify what source code to include or build versus all the standardized stuff. And that way it's actually easier to evaluate tools. It's easier to write that tutorial yeah. and it becomes less and less of a problem. Yeah, that'd be great. So I hear you. And it's a life goal. We'll see if I get to it before I die. But <laughs> Okay. Doing- well, um, I think I'm a, we should wrap it up. But I d- actually, we didn't really get to 621 much, so maybe we could kick that down the road. And also, uh, Trove classifiers, but that might be a big can of worms. Um, so, uh, uh, classifiers are their own story. Some people actually want to see them just go away. Their yeah. usefulness is slowly dying because it requires Python and stuff. Like, Anyway, that's another story, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, thanks for your time today, uh, and I learned a lot. So. Anytime. Thanks, Brett. I always learn a lot when we talk. Thank you also to Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. Thank you, Datadog, for sponsoring this show. Check them out at testandcode.com slash datadog and start tracking the performance of your apps with a free trial and get a t-shirt. That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 152. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.